Uh, let me be very honest with you, which I know you would expect me to be. Uh, whenever the guys, whenever the elders asked me to speak on giving today, I was kind of nervous and a bit apprehensive, mainly because I'm still quite new to Windsor, and I was afraid that some people might think he's not even here two months and he's talking about money, which, as we all know, is a very sensitive subject at the best of times. But given the current climate, it's a particularly raw issue for many, many people. And so, is it wise? Never mind, is it appropriate for me to speak about it here in this environment. And secondly, I am conscious that if you're here this morning and you're visiting, and I've no doubt there will be some visitors in this morning, whether from another church or particularly from no church connection, then you may be thinking, I knew it, the church is really only interested in your money. And so by devoting an entire sermon to it, I risk and we risk the danger of confirming some people's worst fears. And so all those thoughts have been and had been running around in my mind as I was preparing for this. Now for those who have been here for the past two Sundays, you'll know that we've started a new series, as Nigel has said, reflecting on the state of our hearts, the real you, the essential you and how the state of in here actually dictates and determines how you live your life. And so two weeks ago we looked at the importance of having a brand new heart and then last week we reflected on the value of a humble heart. And as I thought about looking at various heart conditions during the new year, I actually realised that I've got to speak about money. Because fundamentally money is a heart issue. It's a critical heart issue, and that's why it is such an emotive topic. It's why it's such a sensitive subject. And therefore, to not speak about the importance of a generous heart during this series, when we're looking at various heart conditions, would have lacked integrity on my part, I think. So at one level, I kind of want want to apologize for some of what I'm going to say. And yet, at another, I can't avoid this. I can't duck what is a hard issue. It's a discipleship issue, and it is such a key biblical issue. And so, in light of all that, by way of introduction, I hope you will understand why I'm heading in this direction and why it is going to be our focus for the next 25 minutes or so. And I do want to say I may speak for a few minutes longer than I usually do this morning. I really try to stick to 25 minutes. I have a older daughter who times me. Uh, she's away on a youth weekend this weekend, so it's great. Uh, but I do, I, I will, I am going to be a little longer than that this morning, and I do ask for your patience, but, but Nigel has handed over in great time, so I really, that's great. The Bible, is, uh, the Bible is packed with teaching and information on giving and money. And in some ways, I realize we could go off in any number of different directions. And generally, whenever you come to this issue, there is a mindset within a church context that says, well, it's 10%, isn't it? I mean, it's a tithe. It's a tenth of what I get. At least that's the benchmark. That's the bare minimum. And there may be a bit of discussion about whether it's 10% of net or gross income, but otherwise, that's the guideline. Alternatively, Some people argue that the concept of a tithe, this idea of 10%, is actually an Old Testament idea. And whenever you come into the New Testament, there's a definite lack 
of specific teaching regarding tithing. There appears to be a shift in thinking. So, for example, Jesus never affirmed it. And the early Christians, certainly for the first 300 years, didn't practice it. So some would say, and some would say rather provocatively, that tithing is a biblical issue, but not a Christian one. Now, I don't really want to get into that this morning. I just want to drop that out there. But I don't really want to get into that. Not because I don't think it's important. Please hear me in this. I'm not suggesting that tithing is irrelevant. Not at all. But what I would like to do is consider a number of principles of Christian giving. Principles that actually reflect a generous heart. Principles that have the potential to influence our hearts towards a level of generosity that may be previously unknown. And principles that may even radically impact your attitude to money in generally. So I'm going to look at eight principles with you. So, I mean, if you do have a pen and a bit of paper, it might be really helpful to scribble these down. But eight principles, and they're based on two key chapters uh, of the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And the little packs that some of you already have been given and that are available to everybody contain some of the words from these chapters on the front of the packs. And this is a part of a letter that Paul wrote to a particular church community. Now, Paul has been confronted by the generosity of a group of Christians in another place called Macedonia. And so using these Macedonians as a kind of example, he writes to the church in Corinth to challenge them about their approach to money. And to challenge them about how they go about sharing their resources and how, about how they go about giving it away. Now rather than read the two chapters all in one go, we're going to work our way through chapter 8 primarily. Drawing out the, the, the eight principles that I want to look at. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me there. Uh, the Pew Bibles, it's page 1162. So let me read the first two verses of Second Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. just want you to stop there because right from the word go, Paul identifies the generous hearts of these Christians. And he describes their giving as rich generosity. But I want you to notice where Paul begins. He actually starts with God. He says that behind these people's generosity is God's generosity. Paul says that in the first verse. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given these people. You see, grace is another word for generosity. So maybe an alternative uh, reference or description of the heart condition we're looking at this morning is a grace-filled heart. You see, our God is a generous God. And he wants us to reflect his generosity in our approach to all that he's given us. And Nigel has referred to that this morning. You know, we are just stewards of our time, of our abilities, of our possessions, of our property, and of our money. Ultimately, and we've been singing this, it all belongs to him. We are not the owners. We're just the keepers, the curators, the custodians, if you like. We have received God's generosity. We have received God's grace. And then we give 
or we should give in response to the generosity and the grace that God has shown to us. And so here's principle number one. Christian giving is an expression of the grace of God. It's got to start there. But take a look at where these people were coming from. You know, sometimes we think, look, whenever life's better, whenever things are a wee bit more together, whenever my finances are healthier, whenever the credit crunch is over, then I'll give this further thought. Then I'll look at this seriously. But in verse 2, it says that out of severe trial, in fact, Paul says out of the most severe And out of, and this is hard, out of extreme poverty, they expressed rich generosity. And how challenging and how uncomfortable in a sense is that? Because it seems that difficult circumstances shouldn't curb our generosity. And verse 3 reinforces this because Paul highlights that not only did they give as much as they were able, but take a look at verse 3. It says they gave beyond their ability. Do you know, I wonder whenever we're getting it tight, that I, and I know that many of us are at the moment, what tends to happen? Whenever we're getting it tight, do we tend to give away more or do we reduce our giving and keep more for ourselves? I know what I do. And it seems like these Christians in Macedonia, these role models, they continued to give and they kept giving generously, even though they were going through the mill, even though they found themselves in dire straits. And so here's principle two, and I say this rather reluctantly. Christian giving in any climate and under all circumstances is possible. Down to verse seven, it says... But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, Paul encourages the Christians in Corinth. He says, listen, guys, I want to commend you for your faith and for your speech and for your knowledge and for your sincerity. In fact, he says, you excel in these things. You are brilliant at them. But don't just leave it at that. Aim to excel in this grace of giving as well. And what we're really dealing with here is a heart's desire. And that's why this is a matter of the heart. I know from speaking to many of you that you long to grow in your faith. That you long to grow in your knowledge of God. You want to deepen that relationship you enjoy with God. You don't want it just to be head knowledge, but you want it to be heart reality. And you want to grow in your character. You want to be people of integrity. I hear that from you. And you want to grow in your love for others. Others in here. Others outside of here. And a couple of Sunday nights ago, we looked at Windsor Baptist's reputation. How are we known as a church? Because all churches have reputations. And based on Colossians chapter 1, we discovered that that particular church were known for their faith in Jesus Christ and for their love for others. And that's my hope for here, that we would be a church that is known for our faith in Jesus and known for our love for each other. But is this something else that we should be known for? As a church that excels in giving. 
And I knew, and from what I gather, and from listening to Nigel, it seems apparent that this is a church that excels in giving when 80% of it gets given to people, and over half of that goes away from in here. I'd love us to be known as a community of people who own generous hearts. And so here is principle three, that Christian giving is a practice to practice. Because whenever you practice something, you generally become better at it. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Listen, you excel in all these other things, but please excel in giving. Get better at it. Be known as people who are striving to do well in this area. Let's go to verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. You'll notice here Paul doesn't order the Corinthians. Paul doesn't use the ought to language that is so often used in churches when it comes to giving. It's not about saying this is what you ought to do. But he certainly does imply that it is a great way to test the sincerity of your love. Do you know, whenever we say we love someone, whenever we say we're committed to them, our actions will either prove our words or contradict them. Whenever I say I love Glenn, that's Glennis for those who are visiting, uh, until I'm blue in the face, just want to clear that up. Uh, If ever I say I love Glenn, until I'm blue in the face, but unless that I show it, unless I demonstrate it, unless I prove it, then those words may begin to ring hollow in her ears. Words are important, but actions often speak far louder. And our giving, and this is heart-searching, our giving is a test of our sincerity. It's an indicator of the reality of our love for God, according to Paul. And therefore, maybe, maybe it is true that if you want to check someone's commitment, and again, please hear, if you want to check someone's commitment to God, check their levels of giving. Check their generosity of heart. And so principle four Christian giving is an acid test of our love and sincerity. And Paul also adds another phrase that, again, I'm really hesitant to mention because you could end up beating yourself up very easily. He says, listen, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Like, how threatening is that thought? Like, let's compare and contrast what we each give, like as if. But very quickly, Paul brings this into perspective. And I think he does this to avoid a situation where people literally did compare their giving with one another. Because either, if you do that, two things can happen. Either you feel inferior or else you feel superior. And neither is going to help or benefit anybody. And so Paul turns his attention to Jesus. Look at this. He says, listen. See if you're going to gauge your giving against anything or against anyone, then gauge it, test it, measure it against the cross and through the lens of Jesus, who he says there, gave everything for you. He became poor so that you might become rich. And that is what should inspire. And that is what should motivate your level of giving. In other words, principle number five, Christian giving is inspired, should be inspired by the cross of Christ. Who gave it all away. Who became nothing. As Paul writes in Philippians. Verses 10 and 12. 10 to 12. And here is my judgment 
about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work that you so, that in your eagerness you were so willing to do, so that it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And verse 11, you'll notice, finishes with that phrase, give according to your means, which is a constant value right throughout Scripture. Back in Acts 11:29, the church at Antioch were given to the Judean Christians who were suffering from famine, and it says that each gave according to his or her own ability. In Ezra 2, back in the Old Testament, we discover people giving to the rebuilding of the temple, but a giving according to their ability. So Paul says, look, give out of what you've got. And sometimes we think, listen, if I had more, I'd give more. But what Paul seems to be saying is, no, listen, just give out of what you do have. You see, the issue is is never amount. The issue is, and we're back to this, the issue is a desire. Do I actually want to give? You'll notice in verse 10 that Paul refers to their desire to give. In verse 11, he recognizes their eager willingness. And then in verse 12, he writes, For if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable according to what one has. This is a matter of the heart. No one can force you to give. No one can force you to increase your giving. It's not about sending people, which has not been done this morning at all, but it's not about sending people on massive guilt trips. Instead, what we're dealing with here is investigating the condition of a heart. Is there a willingness in here? Is there an eagerness? Is there a desire? Is it, I think, a duty to give? I'm not sure it's about that. I think the better question to ask is, is there a longing to give within me? There are clear echoes of this in in an incident in Mark 12, which is repeated in, in Luke 21. And we discover that Jesus sits down to watch what people give, which is an interesting idea and concept in itself. And many rich people throw in huge amounts of money, but along comes a poor widow and she empties her pockets and she donates two very small copper coins. And Jesus sees a teaching moment and so he gathers his disciples around him and he says this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They have given out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty. You see, what we give is not determined by the amount, it's by the spirit in which it is given. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians says, listen, if the eagerness is there, if your heart's in this, if your heart is in it, then what you give is acceptable. Give generously. Then you're on the right track. And give out of what you've got. Those who gave out of their wealth were given out of a clear sense of duty mixed with a tinge of reluctance. And so they gave a lot in monetary terms, but it seems that their hearts were disengaged. And implied in 2 Corinthians 8.12, and I hope I'm not pushing this too far, but implied is that if the willingness isn't there, that if I do this in a sense through gritted teeth because I think I have to do it, then I wonder, is it acceptable? And if I veer off a little on a tangent, although I think it's closely connected, there's a chilling comment. It's one of the most chilling comments, I think, in the entire Bible. 
that God says via the prophet Isaiah and then Jesus picks it up again. And God says, you know, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus picks it up again and he adds, and so they worship me in vain. And so I can say all the right things, it seems. I can sing all the right words. I can engage in some form of worship, but if my heart's not in it, then maybe it is all just a waste of time. And I need to stop fooling myself and I need to stop fooling everyone else. In some ways I can, I can give out of what I've got financially and therefore think I'm doing the right thing. And yet if my heart is disengaged, if there is not an eager willingness, then there maybe is a possibility that I'm worshipping. And remember, whenever it comes to that time, whenever we give, giving is an act of worship. There is a danger that I risk worshipping in vain. So principle number six, Christian giving is a desire rather than a duty. Just in passing, you will also, uh, or you will often hear people say that Christian giving is proportionate giving. That it's about giving a proportion, a percentage, a share, a fraction of what we have got. And there is certainly biblical evidence and references to support that principle. And in terms of the exact percentage or what proportion, well then we're back to a hard issue. And I don't think anybody can dictate that. But the story of the poor widow does seem to throw a bit of a spanner in that across the board principle. She gave everything. All, according to Jesus, that she had to live on. Now, I don't think, and I could be wrong, I don't think God expects all of us to do that. But I do think the challenge we face in reflecting on our willingness to do that is could we do it? Could we actually do it if it was necessary? I mean, we're probably all familiar with the story of the rich guy who wants to follow Jesus. And so Jesus says, look, sell up and give everything to the poor. And the guy can't do it. And so he walks away. And again, I don't think that Jesus asks all of us to sell up and give it all away. But the issue is, if he did, could we? Is the desire there? Are we willing to give out of what we have? And if necessary, are we willing to give everything? Back to 2 Corinthians, verse 13. To 15. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Principle 7, nearly there. Christian giving contributes to equality. The Corinthian Christians, you see, seemed to be doing okay financially. They had plenty, according to verse 14. But out of their plenty, they could supply, says Paul, what others needed. Others who were less fortunate than themselves at this particular time. And then whenever they were in need, others could supply for them. It's kind of how it's meant to work in an ideal world. And I realise there could be, really, I should say so much about this at so many levels, at a community level, at a national level, at an international level, but let me just bring this down to a local church level. Because there will be people in need who are part of this congregation. 
I have absolutely no doubt about that. People sitting here who are in real need. And for whom the current climate is proving impossible. And I'm still, as I say, very new here and therefore I feel I can sort of freely speak into this situation. Because as a church I understand we do have a fellowship fund which is specifically set aside to help those who are in need. And I don't know what the individual needs are here as yet. But I'm aware that others do. Others like our two other pastors, Roy Gambler, Roy McMullen. But here are my two hopes for that fund. That the fellowship fund is constantly being resourced to address inequality. And secondly, that the fellowship fund is constantly being used to bring about a greater sense of equality. If we are a church where some of us have plenty, relatively speaking, and yet some of us are in real need, then something is wrong. And one response to this particular principle might be to ask either of the Roys about the current state of the Fellowship Fund and whether, if it had more, could it be used more. And I'm not suggesting on this principle, by the way, that we should all be in the exact same position financially, and I know I'm in dangerous territory here. I don't think we should be living in identical houses, equipped with identical furniture, wearing identical clothing, and eating identical food. Okay? But I do think that Paul's teaching and so much of the rest of the Bible does force us to consider the reality of extreme social disparity. And as I say, I could say so much more on this. But let me just leave it that Christian giving contributes to equality. And then principle eight. Christian giving has symbolic significance. There is always more to it than meets the eye. For this church, it symbolized, as you'll see further down, their confession of the gospel of Christ. You see, this church, what was going on in the context here was that a Greek churches, or the Greek churches were giving to Judean churches, and that was significant. It wasn't just significant geographically as if from one place to another. It wasn't just significant economically, the rich were giving to the poor. But in particular, this was theologically significant. It was from Gentile Christians to Jewish Christians. This collection that Paul was organizing was a deliberate, self-conscious symbol of Jewish-Gentile solidarity in the body of Christ. So how do we connect with this, or how do we apply this to us? Well, you see, in similar ways, our giving expresses our theology. Whenever we give, it reflects what our priorities are. What we give to, how we give, and where we give reveals what we think is important. And so whenever you contribute to economic development, whenever you give to the likes of Tear Fund or other agencies, whenever you donate to a local social needs project or organisation, you are expressing a belief that every man, every woman and every child bears God's image and should not live in dehumanising conditions. So whether you give to agencies like that reflects what you believe is important. Whenever you give to missions and evangelistic enterprises, 
you are expressing a belief in the importance of people hearing, encountering, and being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whenever you give to a local church, you are symbolizing your belief in its central role in God's purposes, your belief in its presence, its witness, its maturity, its function within the community and within individual lives. But on the flip side of all of this, whenever we don't give, whenever I keep for myself and I spend on myself, then that is also symbolically significant. It says something. Eight principles. I realize, as I've said, there are so many people here who do have generous hearts. And I hope that Windsor will be known for, yes, their faith in Jesus Christ, yes, their love for others, but also as a church that excels in giving. But, you know, we live in a material world. We live in a consumer culture. The pressure to have, the pressure to accumulate, the pressure to keep, the pressure to hoard, the pressure to spend is extreme. The temptation to love money is intense. And so the challenge of having and guarding a generous heart is very real. I don't underestimate that in today's world. And so I hope this morning has been helpful. I really do hope it has not been manipulative in any way. But here's my final hope. My final hope is not so much that you would review your giving. My hope is that you would review the condition of your heart in light of God's word.